Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, as always, here in the studio. And uh, here we are, season five. Nice. Of our sort of recast format, which uh, we'll roll through this a few more seasons and then uh, bring some people back in. Yeah, yeah. Right? bring some guests back. We're delivering a lot of value on basically making the biggest decisions of your career. That's it. And hopefully we're giving some good guidance. So today, uh, you know, our season five is assembling uh, a group practice. Today, we're going to talk about financing and capital. Very per- important. Perhaps the most important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, last episode, we talked about the importance, obviously, of identifying good practices or good locations. Another episode, we'll talk about de novos or startups versus acquisitions. But, um, you know, certainly financing uh, is probably the, the biggest challenge and the most important thing when it comes to, to growing a group of practices. I was just talking to a banking um, resource day, and I say I affectionately call the bank the mom of the deal because you couldn't do anything when you were younger unless your mom thought it was a good idea. And this is kind of like almost like a group of moms having to say, yes, it's okay. And I know yeah. it doesn't fit exactly that analogy, but I think it's important because dentists, and I mean, maybe just entrepreneurs in general, and it's happened to me, they get very passionate about a vision, a culture, an idea, a service, Rob, and they go, who's going to pay for this? They go, oh, yeah, we should pay attention to that one, too. Yeah. Because none of it happens unless you get money. Got the money. Yeah. Uh, and so, and I think when it comes to uh, to financing uh, a group of practices or multiple acquisitions or startups, uh, this is, we're like out away from like the world of the intuitive here. Right. You know, I think a lot of times, and and for as long, the 27 years that I've represented Dennis, maybe it's even longer now, I guess it's 28, uh, you know, it's when you come across really good operators that have a group of practices, but then they have challenges getting money right. from the lenders. And they say like, well, how come the bank won't lend me the money to buy this eighth practice? We're doing really well. And they'll lend that person that graduated dental school two years ago $700,000 to do a startup. And the answer is because. And what, <laughs> Just, well, you know this, what, what, for our listeners, is there really, it's a, lending someone $800,000 out of dental school who has a million dollars in debt, even though the two sentences I just said, if someone was not in our shoes would mm-hmm. sound crazy, mm-hmm. it's a low risk for the bank. Yeah, right, low risk of, of default. It's a known risk and yeah. a low risk. Well, I think what you get into is like there are uh, these sort of discrete uh, healthcare lending divisions, obviously, in these banks that have the programs or the products, as they call them, yeah. right? And there are certain underwriting requirements that they have, and they'll make these loans for 
the startups and for the acquisitions for a practice or two. Um, and it's great. I mean, for, for our sake, I mean, this is what fuels the, the majority of the transactions that, that we both deal with. This is the, and just for a minute, this is the zero to one, zero to one. Zero to one. And then maybe one to two. Maybe one to two, but in general, it's zero to one. And then if I did form the Guac Group, Rob, good name for a group, and I said, I got these five practices and we do $10 million and we want to acquire this other practice in Conshohocken and we need 1.5 million, what you're saying is getting that money is gets trickier. It gets harder. Why? I mean, even though you and I talk, I think, why is that? I mean, if I'm like, hey, I lead a group with five practice owners yeah. who know what they're doing. Yeah. We know what they're doing. Right. We want 1.5 million for this thing. Uh, we obviously, the five of us would have, I mean, maybe I'm not using this word, wording right, but like the financial savings to backstop mm -hmm. a big problem, right? right? But they still are sort of like, we're not so sure. So maybe tell us, tell our listeners why they're not so sure. Well, I guess, you know, it's my my theory or perspective, which is, you know, a collection of conversations with, with lenders and people in the industry over the years. I think it, a few things. I mean, one, it, uh, it, it, it the, the the lenders look at the total exposure, the total liability, yeah. and when that number starts to get a little too big or or larger, then that bumps them out of this healthcare lending world in whatever bank that they're in, and now they go into the world of like regular business lending, and in the regular business lending world, it's a different set of rules. the The people in the banks that transact these loans for the zero to one, one to two, and you know, maybe even you know two to three, uh, they understand how low the default rates are. They're comfortable lending against the cash flow of the practice yeah. without having anywhere nearly sufficient hard assets as collateral. I mean, you know, we talked about you know, some recent episodes, look at a dental practice acquisition and the purchase price allocation. It's like 80, 80, yeah. 85% goodwill. And then, you know, whatever, 5% of that is supplies. And like, you know, whatever, 15-ish percent is hard assets, equipment. And most of the time, the equipment's not even worth what you allocated for. Yeah, you know, right. like that's on a good day because who's going to buy seven op, you know, uh, uh, seven equipped ops, right, you yeah. know, like an old, you know, 15 year old dental chair. What <laughs> right. is that worth? Yeah. You know, not very much. So, but, you know, again, in the, in these, you know, very specific, discreet healthcare lending sort of portals, you've got, you know, people that understand the, the cash flow, the exposure is not too great. It's enough money for, uh, you know, the, the professional who's the owner operator to, to make it work. Like it's all really small, neat and convenient. Yeah. But once you start to, to get beyond that, you, you get away from those people and those programs that rely and it's basically, on that. I mean, and just to kind of catch our listeners up because you live in this space, I mean, you can correct me if I'm not totally right here, but most of the one dental deals are under $2 million, right? I mean, most mm -hmm. of the yeah. one dental deals, because I was talking to a broker recently and he made me think about this because it's like, mm -hmm. they're usually not like, hey, I want to buy this one practice that's $6 million, right. right? They usually live in this 800 to $1.5 million world exactly. most of the time mm -hmm. where the bank probably has an enormous comfort zone for mm -hmm. all parts of those deals. Exactly, exactly. But now multiply that by five. And so then maybe, you know, I'll, I'll try to give you a, a, an alley-oop, Rob. You know, who's going to fund the Guac Group then? Who's funding these deals? Well, that's the challenge. You know, there are some lenders that we're starting to see that are putting programs in place that are a little more friendly 
towards yeah. that expansion model because ultimately, you know, if you're looking at lending to an expanding dentist or a you know non-dentist they're looking to 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 do a group of practices that expanding dentist has the you know the wherewithal the track record yeah. the ability to uh to lend and so if, if if really if you look at it on a case-by-case basis if they're making good acquisitions then it makes sense for the bank to do it so we're starting to see some of that with that being said most lenders will not finance i say most Really, pretty much all of the the, the dental specific lenders will not finance a non dentist looking to buy a dental practice. Right. You know that's still uh, that's still a bridge too far for them. And like some of these these non dentists, you know, as we talked about in our first episode of the season, you can hire somebody as your CEO or whatever role, whatever title you give them, and they may have done this several times. Right. They may have a great track record. It may not be dentists, but they know how to operate dental practices profitably. It is kind of a little bit just as just as probably in this moment, I'll say something that's been sort of the running theme some episode one till now it's like it's a little bit laughable that they have this trust in the clinical dentist who has no business skills right and almost don't trust at all the person with the business skills right when it's clear the business skills are what grows these things right exactly because we're not talking about dr joe's practice on 15th and walnut doing nine hundred thousand dollars a year yes dr joe can do the fillings and the finances of that place and not mess it up most right. of the time but now when you're growing the financial part becomes equally complex or more complex than trying to manage all the clinicians. Right. But that's why they don't want any parts of it, yeah. too, for the same reason. You know, and that that's what that's really takes us back to what we were saying a few minutes ago that these loan programs, these products, so to speak, which again, yeah, yeah. that's what they call them, right? Uh, are geared for a dentist buying a dental practice. So then if you're in this space, Rob, and you want to do this, and I, I've heard this term a lot, I've dealt with this term. I do deals like you, then you ask private equity, who's private equity, right? People go, right. we're going to go to private equity financing deals. Who who usually makes those people up? Because people say, I have private equity money to, to grow my group. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that could be anything from a rich uncle to a investment firm. Yeah, it's all again, but, but there might be another another step before you get oh, to wow. that, nice. that, you know, the SBA, Backed loans, you know, Small Business Administration uh, makes loans, in some cases, to to non dentists to really to to grow. So that's an avenue that they could it is. explore. There are downsides to that. I mean, the those loans generally the fees are high with those. the The terms are not great. Um, they're going to ask for you know, typically a second mortgage on uh, on the principal's homes. So like, there's. There's a lot more. So you talked on the previous episode about upping the ante, and so just if I'm hearing you right, and I think you actually coached me this years ago in a good way or advised me, you're also upping the financial ante of your life when you do this. Mm-hmm. Like you're playing in a, a league that's different. Yeah, yeah. There's just more going on. When there's more going on, there's more risk. Yeah. Um, but you know, this again takes us back to what we talked about in the first episode of this season that. You can. You really have to be careful about doing bad deals because whether you're going to go to private equity, we'll talk about that in a minute. We've got a, a pending question from yeah, you. Yeah. I, I haven't forgotten that. Or you're going to a bank. If you know, if you have a couple of practices that are pulling everything else down, nobody wants to loan you money when things are not looking great. 
you know? And so, you know, as we talk about upping the ante, it becomes even more important to to do good deals because then that shows that that's, that's successful and it's, it's, it's been a, a good add to your portfolio yeah. of practices that's going to make you more attractive as a buyer, a borrower rather, or a partner. Right. Uh, do some bad deals, the numbers don't look so good, and then you start to hear from these folks that have the money, well, let's see how things go in, in the next couple of quarters. Right. You know, you're going to get that back on track. Is that going to get back up to, to where it was before? Or, you know, your numbers aren't so good. We're not really anxious to give you more money. So you really have to be careful. Just acquiring practices and growing for the sake of growing, if you're not doing it smart, can uh, And I'll, I'll use an example that might is meant to just kind of be an emotional story. It's like when you're a solo practice owner, you can step on the scale and see what you weigh and nobody looks at it. Mm -hmm. And now you're involved with this and they're like, step on the scale, we wanna see what you weigh. Right. And we have some comments to make about it. Yeah, that's a good way to and put it. And you're like, some of it can be very uncomfortable, but that's what you sign up for. Yeah. And you kind of say, I mean, I'm just using a just a, an easy example. You kind of say, I'm gonna keep losing weight, right? We're gonna, I'm gonna keep getting more fit and maybe the scale is not the best way. It could be the bench press or it could be swimming time for you. Mm -hmm. But it's like in your solo practice world, you get to keep all of this to yourself. And now you're in a group world where you have people looking at you. Yeah, right. Yeah, you've, you have to answer to people, yeah. right? You are no longer the, the king of the castle, right? right? Uh, you eat nachos late at night. If you could, someone, you're going to ask you why, right? Instead of just saying, everyone's asleep in my house, I'll take out some Tostitos. That's right. <laughs> Sneaking them. Right. Um, so you know, what is private equity? That can be uh, the whole gamut of things. You know, but I think when you talk about private equity, usually when you go to that route, because you can't get money someplace else, you're giving up a whole lot. Yeah. Um, you, know, you are uh, partnering with them, so to speak, but... Uh, depending on the size of your practice, I mean, if you only have a handful of practices, generally that's looking a whole lot like a sale, yeah. you know, and where you're not going to have any kind of control. If it's a, a larger group or if for some reason the, the DSO is kind of in its earlier stages, you may have the ability to have more control over, over the direction and the path of that, gotcha. of that group. Uh, but it's just like anything. I mean, you put, you have as much leverage as what you bring to the table. Yeah. Right. So it's not necessarily like with, with, you know, if you own five or six practices that you just partner with some private equity group that's going to take 30% of your business and then invest lots of more money to help right. you grow your six to 20 to 30. Those deals are out there. But that's not the common DSO deal that that we see, or the private equity deal. I mean, usually with those, you're looking at at a much larger scale, and then they're looking to roll up practices. And also, they're not looking for partners. Me, you, you know this world a lot more than I do. But like, also the the private equity group you ask to do this, they may not want to play the game with you forever, and they can sell you to a different group, right? Oh, yeah. They can, you know, you got to have a whole new leadership team mm -hmm. now involved in your life. Yeah. And I think, and and for that reason, and just so many reasons, you really, you're giving up control um, and either, you know, complete control or, you know, just about complete yeah. control. And so, you know, really that becomes almost like a, a last resort for, uh, for practice growth at that point. Gotcha. You know, but, and again, that, that's when you've exhausted whatever other resources you have, financing, internal financing, friends and family, banks. But, you know, I think 
you know, like I said, there are some some lenders that we're seeing in the space uh, that are recognizing that there is is value to this, and so uh, with what has been the proliferation of of DSOs and people trying to assemble large practice groups, I think uh, lenders are getting a little more in tune. To, I also have the same. Is maybe, and I, this isn't a conspiracy theory. But, you know, I just was talking with the bank today, and they seemed to they said the words. Uh, they, they don't care how many locations you have, they'll always fund it. And I said, it made me th think maybe that was overly optimistic. That's not true. But like, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, I could also be surmising something that they would walk back if I, they were here in this room. But one of my things when I thought this was, and maybe you can help me, because like the evolution of this world is consolidation. And to get more deals, they might have to play in this world. Yeah, oh, because, for sure. Because, you know, I actually do remember five years ago when I was listening to a, a banker give a talk, he's like, well, once a practice is sold to a DSO, it's never going to be sold to a private practitioner again. Yeah. And that pretty much is true 99% of the time. Yeah. And so for them to, I mean, I, I don't know who's keeping stats on all of these things, but are the number of buyer acquisitions declining, right? You know, the those zero to ones. Mm -hmm. And they're probably saying, hey, Guac Group, we do want to get involved with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, as we, we sit here and March of 2023, though, you know, remains to be seen what's going to happen with the, the DSO market. Yeah. You know, it's definitely things that we're seeing in our practice where deals have, have paused or, or been called off, um, that the, the same you know, momentum that we've seen from recent years has definitely slowed down, yeah. you know, with a lot of, uh, a lot of groups had soft fourth quarters. Interest rates have gone up and a lot of these groups, if they're not, playing with their own money, they're borrowing money too. And so if profits are down and the cost of them acquiring money to, to buy the practice yeah. have gone up, you know, they're getting squeezed and um, remains to be seen kind of where that, where that settles. Yeah. So maybe we will see some deals where private practice owners are buying DSO assets. We've seen that in the, in the Philadelphia market, Paul. I mean, yeah. we were talking about that before, before we went on that, you know, there are DSOs yeah. that are offloading things. So, um, you know, and I think, like you said too, that you know, when you're partnering with these people, I mean, for the most part, DSOs are looking to consolidate and flip and get out. You right. know, they're not looking at, at sticking around for the next decade. And right. they say most, you know, again, there are exceptions with all of that, but it's a much shorter term play uh, that's that's focused on, on Keeping that that profit strong until they can assemble, right. you know, yeah. the bigger pot of EBITDA and see the arbitrage of you know the higher multiple with with the greater pot of EBITDA. But that's you know a very different uh, different mentality than you know. Hey, I'm looking to bring on a, a partner to be with me for the long yeah. haul to help me grow this this empire. For sure, I can see as well. It's a it's a soap opera uh, of. Financing, you didn't know financing and capital could be such a soap opera, but we really can here. From SBAs to banks increasing their risk appetite to uh -huh. uh, private equity. I want to meet Mr. Like private the, Equity. I, I, hope, I hope you introduced me to him. <laughs> I'd like to meet him too. He's kind of like, it's like the Wizard of Oz, right? Yes, yeah, Pay yeah. no attention to the man <laughs> yes, behind the curtain, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Well, on that note, thanks uh, everybody for listening. Uh, and as always, if uh, you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a good review, please, on your favorite uh, podcast app and thanks again until the next time thanks Rob thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos and don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified if you're looking for more information about today's podcast you can find it on the dentalamigos.com 
If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.